0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Black Hole Radio presents Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness
2: with your hosts, Rudolph Muhammad and Yusuf Muhammad.
0: People get ready
2: There's a train of a- coming You don't
3: need no baggage You just get on board.
0: To hear the demons calling Don't need no tickets You just thank the Lord. the Lord
2: So people get ready For the train to join
3: Open the door.
1: Peace and blessings, peace and blessings. Welcome to another weekly edition of Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness, a program that wants you to become self-reliant and taking appropriate action in response to any emergency. Beginning all things in the name of Almighty God, Allah, the Beneficent, the Merciful, we thank him for his merciful intervention in the affairs of men in the person of Master W. Farg Muhammad, to whom all praise is due forever. We can never thank him enough for finding one and raising one in the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, the eternal leader of the nation of Islam. And certainly we could never thank the two of them for leaving with us in this dispensation of time the criterion in human form in the person of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. In those three great yet humble names, I'm honored, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, once again, to greet you with the greeting words of peace and paradise. We say it in our original language. Assalamu alaikum. Simply mean. Well, salam. So Thank make you, you so Brother Rudolph. Thank you, Sister Lorraine. Simply meaning, peace be unto you for those who may not be familiar with that particular greeting. But again, we welcome you. Our first-time listeners, welcome, welcome, welcome. Our consistent and constant listeners, welcome, welcome, welcome. We thank you for the honor of your ear and the privilege of your presence. We know that we need you to survive in this time of great trouble. This program, as you know, promotes public awareness and engages in public outreach to inform, to educate, and to train all people in how to best prepare for, respond to, and recover from all emergencies. Our objective is to ensure that everyone has a reasonable working knowledge of disaster preparedness and to help you to determine the best choices, any emergency response, to avert danger, and to save lives. Our vision on this program is that each individual citizen, including every capable man, woman, and child, understand their personal responsibility for the safety of themselves, their family, their neighbors, and the overall well-being of the larger community. Once again, I'm your co-host, Brother Youssef Muhammad, and we welcome you to another weekly edition of Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness that comes before you every Friday from 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It gives me great pleasure at this time to bring before our more than capable co-host, our dear brother, Brother Rudolph T. Muhammad, who will welcome you and bring us further into the program. Brother Rudolph? Yes,
2: sir. Thank you, Brother Yusuf. Beginning all things in the name of Allah, the Beneficent, the Merciful, we thank him for another day in his glorious creation called Universe. We thank him for all that our eyes have seen, our ears have heard, our hearts have felt. We thank him for traveling Muhammad, we thank Allah for finding one from amongst you and I, just a regular, average black man. He wasn't a regular, average black man. He was one in whom a weighty word was going to be deposited into, it would be nurtured and then he would be cut loose on the devil. That one that we are talking about is the one that we now know to be the risen Christ, the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. And we thank the two of them for not leaving us comfortless in this tumultuous time that we live in. They indeed left us with, The comforter, a comforting spirit, more than just a leader, more than a teacher, more than a guide, he is the most example of submission to the will of God in human form. We're talking about none other than our brother, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. So in those three great names of Master Fard Muhammad, the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, and the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, we greet the family of Muhammad, the well wishes of Muhammad, the supporters of Muhammad, and even the detractors of Muhammad. In the green words of peace and paradise, about Assalamu Alaikum.
1: Wa Alaikum Salam, sir. Wa
2: Alaikum. Brother Yusuf, I'm turning it right back over to you because I am anxious to get. This guest on So that she can Do what she does
1: Yes sir Well I thank you brother Rudolph For that warm welcome As I'm sure our listening audience Does the same I too am anxiously awaiting To hear from our special guest uh, This afternoon, this evening She is a a Friend, she is a dear Sister for uh, So many reasons we thank Almighty God Allah for her taking time out of her busy schedule to come and speak to us today about child abuse and child neglect. We'll go into probably laying a baseline assessment as to what that is. Um, we'll look at what it uh, has to do um, in terms of where we were statistically prior to the pandemic and since the pandemic, but. You know, she's a very humble sister, and she just wanted us to introduce her by her name. She's an author of a book, internationally known book, called Black Integration, A Failed Social Experiment. But she's also has worked in the field of social service in New York City for over 30 years in various positions. She has a bachelor of arts degree from Queens College, majoring in sociology and political science with a concentration in international politics. She has a master's degree in social work from Stony Brook University and a licensed master's of social work degree from the New York State Department of Education. She's married. She has children. She's a mother. She's my... She might even be a grandmother now. Yes, she is, because she told us she had some grandchildren in her presence. So without further delay, brothers and sisters, um, not only uh, uh, do I like introducing her in terms of her professional acumen, but our dear sister is also the wife of a martyr who was a dear friend to Brother Rudolph and I a dear friend to the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan and helper to the Nation of Islam. As he transitioned a little over a year ago as a result of the COVID pandemic, I'm speaking none other than our brother Abdul Student Minister, Regional Student Minister Abdul Hafiz Muhammad. She is the wife of our dear brother. We are eternally grateful, Sister Lorray, that you would take time out of your busy schedule to come before our listening audience. So at this time, the floor is now yours,
4: ma'am. Alaikum to your listening audience. Thank you for having me out to discuss this important um, subject of child abuse and neglect. One of the reasons that we're not able to eradicate child abuse and neglect is because we're starting at the branch instead of starting at the root. And the root of child abuse and neglect started with the transatlantic slave trade. The institution of slavery resulted in the sexual abuse of men, women, and children. We also experienced educational neglect because we were unable to learn to read for three centuries. We also experienced verbal abuse, emotional abuse, and, of course, we, had, we were subject to the mental illnesses of our masters. Our uh, masters were basically psychopaths and sociopaths, and that is what, that's the foundation upon which black nation in the West stands on. We also experienced medical neglect, and we lived short lives as a result of that. So now people want to talk about slavery as though it was a passing phase in American history, but we know that that institution lasted and in chatteled slavery for 300 years. So we had institutional neglect of men, women, and children for centuries. And when you have that type of long-lasting abuse and neglect, it becomes a part of the culture of that person or that group of people. When we finally were emancipated, now we're in Jim Crow, which is basically slavery by a different name. Mm -hmm. So while we're going through these 410 years of systemic abuse, what happens is that becomes what we call your average expected environment. So what we do is either we reject that particular dynamic or we incorporate it into our lives. And what we tend to do as parents, we raise our children based on how we were raised. We don't have a book that talks about parenting. Very few people research parenting. So what we tend to do is do what we've already experienced. And so one of the biggest problems we have is that we have to reteach ourselves how to interact with one another, and it's difficult to overcome certain barriers because we have to recognize we live in a greater society that's oppressive to us. So we are living in their reality, and until we change the reality that we currently live in, we'll always have issues because one of the biggest reasons why we have so much abuse currently is because of poverty. Most of the cases that come in are because of maltreatment. The people who have the highest rate of being caught up in the child welfare system are the people who are impoverished. That impoverishment comes because we live mostly in single-parent households and because the greater society dictates what our wages are. And until we are able to control our economy, there's very little else we can control. We have to basically be removed from the civilization that we're currently in in order for us to correct correct these deficiencies in our families. That's basically what the situation is. So we want to talk about what's going on right now, but we have to realize that it has a historical context. And until we can address that as well as remove ourselves from the people who continue to uh, exploit us, it's very difficult to eradicate some of these um, problems. That's my opening Understood. Statement.
1: Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you for laying that base, going to the root and not the branch. Beautiful. Master with psychopaths and sociopaths. You're right, my dear sister. I know some people, what do they call it? I know as a firefighter, when we come back from alarms, they call it uh, post-incident stress uh, management. But uh, I believe one uh psychiatrist or psychologist called our condition help me out with it did she post traumatic slave traumatic
2: slave disorder
1: right yes. disorder. our dear sister dr patricia newton formerly of the black psychiatrist i believe put that out along with uh, dr leary put out she called it a syndrome and uh so thank you for laying that base brother Rudolph that was
2: beautiful and that leads us right into it um, You know Just for the benefit Of our audience Because we have such a uh, uh, um, Integrated audience So mm-hmm. we we just want to Lay this out And say this at the beginning At the very onset We are not in The intention of this program Is not to insult, indict, or judge anybody uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's to educate all that are listening and to help us as a family get uh-huh. over a hurdle that has been plaguing us for hundreds of years. Uh-huh. We know that, and, and we will, you know, I, I'll just put this out there to anybody that's listening, you can... Freedom of Information Act, you can foil the actual facts of the numbers of child abuse and child neglect locally and regionally prior to the pandemic, where you're going to have a hard time getting those numbers is in the pandemic of mm-hmm. where we are now. And mm-hmm. some of the reasons for that is remember that uh, when the children could go and get out of the house, a lot of times they were getting away from their tormentor, their abusers, and their neglectors. Because they were now locked into the home now for over mm-hmm. these past 18 months, now they're locked in with their tormentor, abuser, and uh, neglecters. And so because of that, the numbers and because of the whole system, the reporting system, um, mm-hmm. a lot of those numbers will unanswered. But as one that works in the emergency medical service field, I have the um, – um, well, I guess on one hand, pleasure – But on another hand, it's not a pleasure because I get to see it firsthand. I get to go into those homes and deal with the raw, unadulterated truth as to what's going on behind these doors in our Uh society. And this is in black homes as well as white homes.
0: Uh
2: It, it, It does not discriminate. So, when we're talking about, and this is just Brother Rudolph talking right now, you can go to the dictionary or Google or whatever and get the definition, but we're talking about abuse and neglect. So, when we're Mm -hmm. talking about abuse, we're talking about a physical, mental, spiritual, or social situation that makes the person Feel scared, intimidated, or um, it prohibits them from being who they are.
4: Would you say that that's a fair assessment, Sister Lorraine? Yes, it is. Um, and see, the reason why I got when I went back into the, the historical trauma is because once we were released from the, once we were released from what is considered captivity, we never received any trauma counseling. Mm-hmm. When you, you have centuries of trauma and you don't have trauma counseling, that person will continue to abuse themselves, permit themselves to be abused. And so these things go on through a family line. It doesn't just stop because you said, okay, I'm not going to hit you anymore. Even when you remove a child from the home where the child was being abused and you put them into another environment, if you're not going to get them counseling and try to resolve those issues that came about while they were being abused, that person is going to continue to abuse themselves or permit themselves to be abused if they don't have the right understanding of what they experience. And sometimes you'll find that people blame themselves for their own abuse. Well, yes, now, yes, you, come, yes. you come out of trauma and no one gives you counseling, you end up substance abusing, you drink, you use alcohol, you never had no mental health counseling, you, you, if depending on what type of abuse is, you, you can be um, promiscuous because of rape or sexual um, abuse as a child. You can yes. become, you can hate yourself because you experience verbal abuse. You can become depressed. You can also involve yourself in gang violence or domestic violence because that was what you grew up around. And so if these are the things that we're dealing with historically and we're not, those things are not being addressed, and sometimes we don't even see ourselves as abusers because this is what we grew up under. We think right. this is normal. We don't even right. understand what we're doing is is, is a problem.
1: That's, That's right. True. Beautiful, beautiful.
2: And, you you know, know, and I'm sorry, brother Yusuf. Go ahead.
1: No, no, go right ahead, brother Rudolph.
2: You know, and I was just going to say that. The, and, and to add to that, you know, we have to really think. Nobody wants to admit the fact. That their parents, their mother or father, was wrong in the way that they raised them. Nobody Absolutely. wants to admit to that because that rocks your entire foundation. Mm-hmm. To know that you were raised, you were lied to while you were raised, you were wronged while you were raised. That I mean, that's a, a heck of a, a psychological blow that a person would have to deal with on top of the trauma that they've experienced also.
4: Absolutely. That's that's hard to face that your, your parent might have been wrong. And a lot of times the the person who's your perpetrator was also a victim at some point in their life.
0: So this is right. something mm-hmm.
4: that carries on, on and on and on. So it's very important if we want to have a future, as, whether it's, you know, it's just humanity. We have to see what happened, we have to face what happened, and then we have to, dev- we have to devise a scheme or a plan to make sure that this is something that does not go on into the future. And That's so true. when we, we, we live in denial, then we really can't self-correct. A lot of times when people don't understand, I always told people, I said, a therapist a lot of times know what the problem is with the patient a long time before the patient is willing to acknowledge what the issue is, because sometimes mm. what we do is we are so busy in denial and hiding the trauma and driving the trauma underground, but we still are going to internalize it, or we're still going to do things that's going to come out because that's part of our coping skill. So a lot of times the person who you're interacting already knows what's going on with you, but we have to wait until that person is going to face it and to acknowledge my parent was wrong or my upbringing wasn't what it should be. But at the same time, this is a whole societal Problem. This is not just something that's going on in your home. And like you said right. earlier, um, the unemployment rate is going up. Now, there's, right. a, there's a law in the, the books that if you're unemployed, they can come and take your children. They usually don't do that, but it's something that's written as documentation. Now, anytime time you have a high unemployment rate, the domestic violence rate goes up. That's right. The abuse and the neglect of children goes up. Divorce rate, everything that you – all negative social indicators are going to go up with respect to the unemployment rate. So when you hear them say unemployment is going up, you think, oh, that's, you know, you don't pay it any mind because it's just another social indicator. But that drives so many other negative social indicators like right. homicide, suicide, right. all these other things fall in line behind that unemployment rate. So this is something that we need to be addressing and looking at as a society is how we're going to ensure that our, that people have basic necessities like food, clothing, shelter, et cetera. and a lot of problems with the social service industry especially with child welfare we focus too on the parent, on the child because that is the client but wherever your parent is walking whatever role your parent is taking you're taking that role with them so we have to focus on the adult as well the, the, that's the we see as the perpetrator as well as the child who we see as the victim. Because really, in all reality, all of us are victims simultaneously. It's just that one Mm -hmm. victim has a little more control over the other victim. But the, the society is responsible. Anytime you see women killing their children, you see women abandoning their children, there's not something wrong with that woman. There's something wrong with the society at large. Because animals take better care of their children than a person, that is problematic you don't see the bear abandoning their cub in the wilderness. You just don't see that. So if an animal is going to take better care of their children than the male and the female, that shows you there's something seriously wrong with that society because you're not providing the basic necessities to these people. They feel as though they have to sacrifice their children in order to take, because they feel like, if I feel like I I can't take care of my child, what am I going to do? I'm going to leave them somewhere. And so that's just demonstrating how poorly Capitalism is at addressing the needs of the people in their society.
3: Hence,
2: now, neglect. The definition of neglect. Not giving a person the things that they need, not want, the basic things that they need in order to survive and thrive in a society or in a situation. So you have abuse on one hand, you have neglect on the other hand, and caught in the middle of that is you have the innocent child who didn't ask to come here, Mm -hmm. who didn't ask to be here, but now they're here, and now they become the scapegoat for the problem. Absolutely. Yes. You know, and and one thing I... um, Everybody should remember remember the episode of Good Times with Penny
4: uh-huh.
2: and her mother. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I always use that episode when I talk about everybody could relate to that particular episode, black or white, that you have an innocent child who's being abused. At home and is trying to seek a uh, a refuge, she's a refugee because she's trying mm-hmm. to seek refuge in another family because they're more they they're showing the love and attention that she's not getting at home, and they protected <laughs>
0: something
2: that just popped into my head, brother Euthan.
1: Yes, sir. No, that was very poignant, and uh, many of us can relate to that. That good times, brother. That 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 uh, particular episode of good times, mother-daughter relationship, and as Sister Lorraine said uh, in the beginning about, uh, as she laid out the historical context when she talked about parenting, parents need to reteach themselves interpersonal relationships. And when you came in, brother Rudolph. And you talked about um, this being not only uh, an educational uh, presentation in terms of uh, child abuse and neglect from Sister Leray's vantage point, I also saw it as a healing session. Sister Leray, you know, when you talked about the cyclical uh, uh, relationships of generations, parents after parents after parents, doing uh, certain things whether it's abuse or neglect, it um it just reminded me of, of and you you also talked about in your historical uh context your your base analysis of I don't think you used the word but what I heard was separation, while we must remove ourselves uh That's from right. it. And then when we remove ourselves, then the healing can start and uh hopefully sustain itself. And so all of us are quite familiar with that um, mantra, hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people. That's right. Right? Right. Right? And so that's what I heard uh, in this beautiful first half hour of today's program. Um, Brother Rudolph, you also talked about we can give the basic definition of it. And then let Sister Leray embellish or take us where Allah wants us to go with it. But um, according to what's written, the definition of child abuse and neglect uh, in terms of federal law is any recent act or failure to act on the part of a parent or caretaker which results in death, serious physical or emotional harm sexual abuse, or exploitation, or an act or failure to act presents an imminent risk to serious harm. So this program is about being solution-based, as many of our consistent and constant listeners know. And so we're not just talking about the problems. We're trying to offer healing. But in order to first heal, as Sister Larrae has said, we have to start at the root and not at the branch. So we thank you, Sister LeRae, for laying that wonderful base. Um, When when we say hurt people hurt people, based on your experience in the field of social work, what, what does that mean to you?
4: A lot of times, like I stated earlier, you learn your parenting skills from your parents. So if your parent was abusive to you, unless you make a – you just say, I didn't like how my parent raised me, and I'm not going to do that. If you don't, do, if you don't make that a, a, a constant in your mind, what you'll end up doing is you'll replicate exactly what you didn't like when you was a child. Mm. So we have to be mindful of what we experienced, and then we have to make sure that we don't do that to our children. Now, one of the solutions that we can focus on is that we first, if you know that you've experienced different things in your life, but sometimes the biggest part is that people don't even realize they were mistreated. Mm -hmm. But when we're getting ready to marry one another and we're in our courtship phase, we need to find out as much about that person and their upbringing as possible. Because what can happen is that if you find out as much as you can, you will be able to tell that person, well, there were things that your parents did, how are you handling that? And did you ever get counseling for that? Because, see, with trauma, we have to remember, you have to, the first thing they tell you about being traumatized, you got to remove yourself from that person, right? that's So yep, if the person that's right. isn't, that's the first thing they say to you. In order for you to heal, you got to remove. But we want to live in a society where we were traumatized for over four centuries, approaching five centuries, and we expect that we'll be able to coexist with the person, the perpetrator. In order for us to heal, we have to separate ourselves. In order for us to, A, remove ourselves from the the ultimate perpetrators, and then we can focus on the the ones who are ill-affected and then focus on how do we heal that person so that person does not continue to victimize the persons that they've been victimizing, and also give counseling to that person who's currently being victimized if we decide that that person can't live with the perpetrator anymore and need to remove them permanently or temporarily so that person gets help. But we can't do anything if we don't control the institutions that we interact with. If we don't yeah. control the uh, social service agency, and you know that these cases go on before the judge, and the judge is a person that's not necessarily uh, family friendly when it comes to black people. Because the separation of us and the destruction of our families happened in America. So we can't expect now that these things have changed because it's now 2021. Um, right. So right. We, have to, we have to understand that as long as these institutions are over our lives, we really won't get the resolution that we deserve. Because it's not easy for you to point to the father or the mother and say that they're the perpetrator. But social services only catches a certain number of child abuse and neglect cases. So you have multitudes of people who have been abused and neglected that they've never seen. They don't even know anything about them. So you, if you're only catching a fraction of the people who are being abused and neglect, those other people are still out in society. And they've never gotten any treatment. They've never gotten any counseling. So then when they come to our attention, now they're criminals. That's like the mental mm-hmm. health system. Mental health is fragmented at best. So a lot of times these people are mentally ill for years and years and years and going in and out of um, facilities, in and out of jails, but no one is dealing with the mental health issue. Now when they become criminals, now we want to focus on it. But the problem with that is once they're in jail, they're not getting treatment there either. So the whole system that we are living under is just permitting permitting the victims to be victimized and – No one is actually addressing these issues because this system is just not set up for that. They're set up for making money and exploiting the people who make their money, and that's pretty much the relationship. So the fact that there's issues that are unresolved, whether it's educational, whether it's mental health, whether it's child abuse and neglect, whether it's criminal, whatever it is, this society is just not set up to address those things. They're set up to make money exploit the masses so they continue to make money, and if the masses are not able to focus, function, or whatever, after they finish making their money, that's not their concern. So the entire system has to be uh, I don't want to say because you can't really fix it. It has to really be uh, undermined and reestablished another way in order for us to march forward because people who tell you, oh, we can fix the system, you can't fix a system that's already been established and this is the mindset of the people who established the system. We have to Mm -hmm. look at how we can fix it on the ground level so that we're not negatively impacted, but then we have to ultimately separate ourselves because the people who are perpetrators 466 years ago, their children are now perpetrators now. Until you change that mindset, that person is always going to be a perpetrator because they don't see anything wrong.
1: Imagine that. Imagine that. Brothers and sisters, as we enter into the second half hour of today's Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness program, let me uh, say we've been joined and blessed to have our dear sister Lorraine Muhammad with us, subject matter expert and author of Black Integration of Failed Social Experiments. Today we're uh, focusing on child abuse and neglect and let me remind you, um, you can dial 563 3089 and press number one on your phone pad to be brought into the studio to ask our dear sister any questions, offer any uh, comments, constructive of course. We just mm-hmm. are blessed to have our dear sister on the line, you know, Sister LeRae, um, on on that separation piece. You know, Brother Rudolph and Brother Forrest have, have, have coined me the disaster or the pastor of disaster. And it reminds me of many a day that your husband and I were going to the book of Revelations as we heard the honorable minister, Louis Farrakhan, recite that scripture. Come out of her, my people. Be not partakers of her sins and her plagues. Come out of her, my people. For her sins have reached up to heaven. That's real deal, because when you talk about, and and then, Sister Leray, what you might not know is, Brother Rudolph and I, we just have this uncanny ability to (laughs) pick up a lyric or two, you know, pick up a lyric or two. And when you talked about the importance of institution, but we need a resolution, that reminded me of our dear Sister Allah Be Pleased with her, Aaliyah. She had a song Uh out. We need a resolution. We need a resolution Uh because, as you say, when we go before the judge, that institution is working just the way it was designed to work. You Uh see? And so um, thank you so much for for bringing that. I'll pass it over to our dear brother, Brother Rudolph, and I'll come back accordingly. Brother Rudolph? Yes. You know, uh, Brother
2: Rudolph is a medical person, always Uh has been and I guess always will think like a medical person. So in, mm-hmm. in thinking like a medical person and coming out of this 18-month pandemic that we're in, now why do they call COVID-19 a pandemic? They said it's because of the numbers of people that it has affected or ill-affected.
1: And mm-hmm. because
2: it wasn't germane to just one location, it was so widespread. So if COVID-19 is a pandemic, then what is child abuse and child neglect? It should be looked at as a pandemic also. What was the solution for stay in your house, stay where you are, close the businesses, stop sports, stop everything, only essential uh, uh, trips are being made, only essential workers out working, everybody else, you're, you're, you're under curfew, stay where you are. Well, in order to address like Sister Larrae said, the entire issue of abuse and neglect you have to separate. This thing is like it's like tuberculosis or or uh Ebola or any other um airborne disease that is so easily contagious that you really have to quarantine the patient from everybody else, one, to keep the patient from getting further infected, but two, uh-huh. to keep the society from becoming infected with what the disease that the patient has. So the only way to treat the traumatic psychological institutions or the traumatic psychological uh, uh, um, um, condition that we're in is to separate us from the trauma and the traumatizers mm-hmm. and then start a system of psychotherapy in order to get us to a wellness state of being. It's all, Again, it's almost like a person going to Alcoholics Anonymous or or or, uh-huh. or, 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 you know, having alcohol addiction or drug addiction. The first thing they tell you is you have to stop interactions with that crowd
0: because uh-huh. there's no way
2: you're going to clean up if you're still hanging around with that crowd. Well, this is That's the same right. thing. But so I'm just wondering how is it now? you brought that out to us, Sister Loretta. I'll, large has not come to that um, understanding other than the fact that we're under a sociopathic society that is also hypocritical and cold blatant liars I'll I'll stop with that
4: there was a question in the afternoon
2: (laughs) (laughs) yes ma'am the question is now so, who did you? And this takes us to your book because I love the title, and because now, and, and, and we think. And here we go again with the trauma. Going through school, you know, if you failed the test, it was a bad thing. Class, you failed an experiment; it, it, it was a bad thing. It caused you to go through some pain and anguish when you got home, physically, um, and. Socially, what um, here, this test that you uh, talk about, the failed experiment of integration, then that means someone should have looked at it already and said, well, this thing ain't working, so we need to open this, divide this thing back up and separate this thing, and then let's start to fix it in separate locations. So why hasn't that happened?
4: Well, brother, uh, we have to remember that not only are we economically dependent on them, they're economically dependent on us. They built a whole uh, civilization on slavery, colonialism, and neocolonialism. Europe now is facing difficulty because they have to, they, they, they ran out of money a few years ago, and now they're trying to colonize or maintain colonialization in Africa. Mm-hmm. They can't afford to separate themselves from us because their entire economy is based on the oppression of black people. Mm -hmm. Just think about how much money our sports, our ability to perform in sports makes for America, whether it's at the college level, whether it's at the pro level. Think of how much money we generate entertainment, singing and dancing and all of that stuff, not only domestically, but they export our products all over the world. So they're very economically dependent on us. Also, we provide cheap labor and free labor if we're in jail. So there's an economic dependency that they have on us. A lot of times when I would be on Twitter and I would talk about separation, the, the biggest opposition I got was from white from people because one lady actually told us, we need you. But, see, the uh-huh. need that you have for us is not necessarily in our best interest. You have an economic need for us. You need us to maintain your civilization, but at our peril and at our destruction because all of these things that happened to us in the past are the reason why we suffer from the things that we suffer, the low self-esteem, the envy and the jealousy that's between us. These things are directly connected to the psychological abuse that we suffered under them, the ability to not maintain our family structure, our marriages, our child-rearing, our interaction, inter- interpersonal relationships. All of these things suffer because of us being in in their company. Just the fact that we are modeling our lives after them is the reason why we can't maintain our relationships. Now, if 90% of the marriages are falling apart as a result of adultery, where do we learn to be adulterous at? Mm -hmm. At whose foot? So as we're modeling our lives after their civilization, we are self-destructing. I remember one time we were having dinner with my family, and my, one of my sisters asked, what is the benefit of watching a soap opera? And what do you get from it? And I said to her, it teaches you how not to live. Because if you live like them, you know ultimately there's going to be a consequence for that life. Ultimately there's going to be a consequence for that sneaking around. But if you buy into the idea that this is how you're supposed to live, then you're going to always experience some form of chaos. That's the reason why the Honorable Elijah Muhammad gave us rules for engagement and how to live our lives. And if we Mm -hmm. adhere to what he teaches us to do, a lot of the things that we're dealing with we will no longer have to deal with because he's correcting the things that they destroyed, all of the things that we learned and modeled after being here for 466 years. We're now living the life or we have the thinking of white people, and their lives don't function very well for them. So we're now, but we're now doing the same thing. We want to think it's all right to have a side piece, and we're doing this, and we run running over here, and we run running over there. But those things are actually destroying us physically because the wages of sin is death, and it's destroying our family structure. So we have to now mm-hmm. put our mindset into the mindset of God in order for us to reconstitute ourselves. It's not as though we can't change the reality is that, Some of us are just unwilling or unable to refocus our lives from what we visualize under the tyranny of America to what we should be focusing our attention on, because only in our mindset, only God can save us. But God can only save us if we're willing to submit to his rules. And people don't want to submit, oh, well, I'm used to partying. But what has partying done for you? So Mm -hmm. we we have to make a conscious decision that this is not the path that we want to be on. But as long as we're willing to be on that path, we're going to have to suffer the consequences of being on that path. The only way to restore and to heal ourselves is to separate ourselves not only physically but mentally, morally, spiritually. All of these things have to happen in order for our families, our persons to heal, our families to heal, and our communities to heal, and our nation to heal. But if we're not willing to make the prerequisite changes in our lives, then the healing will never take place.
1: Beautiful. Yeah. Brothers and sisters, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, we're listening to our dear sister, Sister Lorraine Muhammad, the author of the book, Black Integration of Failed Social Experiment. And we'll get back uh, into it before you leave us, Sister Lorraine, but how can people purchase your book if they're interested in purchasing it?
4: They can purchase it online at Amazon.com, and I think also you can purchase on um, Barnes & Noble
1: Excellent, excellent. Thank you for that. And, uh, you know, as I listened to your last comment, a couple of things came to my mind about how, uh, you know, this impacts us in all areas of people activity, as um, Francis Cress Welsing used to say, whether it was education, economics, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, or war
0: being uh-huh. up under
1: this system has us as uh you you know many of us being from new york uh no idea sister sister dr adelaide Sanford, and uh-huh. she would call us negro peons or afro saxons you know and that's a uh-huh. damn shame brother rudolph stop calling me a negro peon or <laughs> afro saxon but you know when you said When you said the wages of sin are death You know you are right And I like to parallel the scripture In the Holy Quran It says evil has been made fair seeming And so Mm -hmm. you know I understand that question Your sister asked you At the table about soap operas Because we just If you listen to the conversation Of many of our people Amongst other things They're going to talk about sport and play They're going to Uh talk about the NBA playoffs. They're going to talk about uh, a Real Housewives of Atlanta or the like, some kind of quote-unquote reality show. Do you see these things as sort of a, a, a fake amnesia for our people not to really deal with the deep scars that we have that we have not dealt with since slavery?
4: Well, the eye looks out, not in, and it's very difficult for people to look at and analyze themselves. We usually sit around and we could discuss our neighbor in extravagant detail, their flaws and their assets, everything. We know everything about that person. But if you ask us to look at ourselves, then we have a difficulty because we don't necessarily want to focus on ourselves. And a lot of these things that we're looking at, they're amusing, they're amusing us because we rather look out than in. But also a bigger picture, the, the general society is falling apart and they're trying Mm -hmm. to hide that fact from the average person. So if they can keep you caught up in reality television, if they can keep you caught up in basketball and sports, then you won't notice that every day they have a storm. You won't notice that every day they have an earthquake. You won't notice that every day hail is hitting their country. They want to distract us from the destruction that they're currently facing. It's it's Mm -hmm. to the point now that it's very difficult to even find out what the weather was like. So there might have been a storm yesterday, or the day before. They might not have impacted your area, but there's areas that were impacted, but they don't want to mm-hmm. focus on that. They want us to focus on the things that keep us, uh, like children, you know, play with little blocks in the corner. They want to keep us focused on those things because they don't want, to under, they don't want us to see that their nation is unraveling. So a lot of times mm-hmm. when you're watching even the, the, the national news, they're focused on the COVID and they're focused on the things they want us to focus on. But I tell you, if you watch CNN sometimes, hit the mute button and read the bottom of the, of the uh, teleprompter. That's mm-hmm. where the real news is at. They're just right. entertaining right. you with this conversation that's going on in front of you, but the real news is on the teleprompter. But they mm-hmm. don't want you to focus on the teleprompter. They want you to focus on what they want you to focus on, which is the propaganda. But the reality is while we're focused on reality television, Western civilization is coming unglued right in front of our eyes. But a lot of times mm-hmm. we don't even understand what we're seeing. But we live in this civilization. So what are we going to do to ensure that our future does not collide when their future collides? We have to recognize that if we don't set up another system or people at least prepared emotionally. To set up another system. Because we have to first, A, we got to survive the decline. But then we have to look and understand that we are the people who are going to step into that vacuum. God abhors the vacuum. So if he's bringing one civilization down, he already has plans for what the next civilization is going to be. But we can mm-hmm. only fit into that vacuum if we obedient and submissive to his law. Because he's only going to make us great. If we are obedient to him, because he can't work with rebels. We already have a group of rebels running the world. So what are we going to do, put in another group of rebels? No. We have to be preparing ourselves to step into that vacuum. But we can't prepare ourselves if we know more about the score last night. We know more about what's going on on television. And we know less about what we need to be grounding ourselves in. We need to be grounding ourselves into Quran. Bible, understanding these things, how it does it factor into right now. Is it something that's a historical text or is it a current text? And Mm -hmm. if, if it's a current text, what are we going to do when this civilization comes unglued? But, see, they want us to go with them. So that's why they're sitting around telling us, watch this, watch that, watch this, watch that. They want to take our focus or our mind down into the gutter so that we're not even able to see the benefits of the new world. So that's just how I'm seeing it. If anybody sees it differently, please chime in at this time.
1: No, I'm with you, sister. <laughs> my eyes looking out and my eyes looking in. You know, uh, uh, the minister tells us in this day, which is today, it will be our righteousness that will sustain us. I've had my day of being a rebel, sister. I'm not trying to be that anymore. I- I'm trying to straighten up and get rid of it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes, Hail Elijah. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> That's
2: right. That's right.
1: So, well, Mr. look, on, on, on this note, Brother Rudolph, can I just yes. share this, brother? Because you gave me a homework assignment. And, Sister Louie, yes, what, whatever comes to your mind after I finish reading this little excerpt of, you know, the the... the the environment of post-pandemic, pre-pandemic, according to this article, the Associate Press uh, wrote. It said, an analysis of state data reveals that the coronavirus pandemic has ripped away several systemic, for millions of Americans. It found that child abuse reports, investigations, Substantiated allegations and interventions have dropped at a staggering rate, increasing risk for the most vulnerable of families in the U.S. In this Associated Press analysis, it found more than 400,000 fewer child welfare concerns reported during the pandemic and 200,000 fewer child abuse, and neglect investigations and assessments compared with the same period in 2019. That represents a national total decrease of 18% in both total reports and investigations. The AP requested public records from all 50 state child welfare agencies and analyzed more than dozens or than a dozen indicators in 36 states, though not every state supplied data for the total reports or investigations. The analysis compared the first nine months of the pandemic, March to November 2020, with the same time period from the two previous years. And there are signs in a number of states that suggest officials are dealing with more urgent and complex cases during the pandemic, according to the Mm -hmm. analysis, though most child welfare agencies didn't provide the AP thorough data on severity. A loss of report means greater potential harm, uh, potential for harm, because there has not all of the sudden been a cure for child abuse and neglect. Uh this woman, Amy Hartford, a child expert uh, with the Children's Advocacy Institute. She quotes and says, children who are experiencing abuse or neglect at home are only coming to the attention of the CPS much further down the road than Uh they normally would. When families aren't getting what they need, there are consequences for everyone. I'll stop right there and let you share with us what Allah revealed to you in just that little passage. And if I need to go further, I will. But what what, what should we, you know, take out of what I just read? Well,
4: I would have to I'm gonna be honest with you, I believe that the child abuse has gone up. The problem is that social services is a face to face, you know, situation. The workers go out mm-hmm. and they meet with the families, but now we're in a pandemic I'm not sure what their protocol is because, of course, I'm retired, so I'm not sure how they're handling that. But most mm-hmm. of the um, schools, like you say, the schools are shut down. I don't know how social services is functioning, where they're supposed to meet face-to-face. They're supposed to go in the home. They're supposed to make those investigations, when a lot of the institutions that you would make the investigations and in are currently closed. So I'm going to take a stab at just based on the unemployment rate. And the fact that so many people are being at risk of losing their homes. Um, you have food insecurity. You have all of these things that are going on simultaneously. So I'm going to assume that the abuse has not decreased. But the problem has mm-hmm. shown that the, with COVID is just illustrated how poorly the society is really, how you say, how the society is not really gauged to protect us anyway. So now mm-hmm. it's just showing the holes in the system because once mm-hmm. this system shuts down, then everything else seems to unravel. Because, But one, one thing is showing people is that they're slaves and they don't even realize they're slaves. Mm. And we've all been working and trying to take care of our children and do what we need to do, but this one pandemic is showing all of the issues institutionally that we've right. never looked at. And so even so that you, I'm not going to say that child abuse has gone down because I would not say that that is what's going on. I'm mm-hmm. saying is that we're not, because they don't catch all cases anyway. So now you have a situation where the worker can't even go out. But so this is a situation that's across the board. The schools, the teachers are not teaching everything that all institutions that they have set up are not working. And then at the same time, they didn't really work all that good to begin with. So, I don't know how, what the answer is going to be, but I think that on the other side we're going to have to look at all of these things because it looks like this system is coming unglued. I mean, it's painfully painfully obviously to the person who's looking at it. So now we're just going to have to figure out how we're going to pick up the ball henceforth because I don't think that these institutions are really going to ever come back into play. They're talking about, oh, we want to go back to school if everybody gets the shot but it seems to me it's more the motivation is really about us taking the shot, really about us going Mm -hmm. back out into the structure. So the capitalism does not you know, totally implode. I don't think the focus is really on the, you know, how the people are doing because they're not sort So I'm going to illustrate it this way. They told everybody to stay home because we want to protect everybody from COVID, but they made no arrangements to make sure these people have food, clothing and shelter during the course of the pandemic and at the right. conclusion of the pandemic. So really the pandemic is just showing us all of the systems that don't run pro- don't run properly in the best of circumstances, and now in the worst of circumstances they're not running at all. So now CDC announced a couple of weeks ago, I mean, excuse me, the, the Supreme Court decided that the CDC didn't have the authorization
0: mm-hmm. to
4: tell people that they don't have to pay their rent. So they could not – initiate, what's that, the rent, moratorium on rent? Mm-hmm. So now you have people who haven't paid rent in over a year. So what are you going to do with these people that haven't paid rent in over a year? It's just, to me, it's just everything that they built up had so many holes in the system, and now COVID is just showing us where those holes lie. Because if a worker can't go out and check on the child because of a pandemic, that leaves that child pretty much to their own devices. And then what is, what is the protocol for getting these children to the hospital when a lot of the hospitals didn't want children in the hospital because of the that's pandemic? Right. That's so that's we right. have all of these systems that were set up a certain way, and now you can see them symptoms they just really don't function the way they should function. So to mm-hmm. me, the COVID is just showing us where the problems are. And so now we have to think about, okay, so after COVID, what are we going to do to make, the, make sure that those systems function the way they should function? That's just something that we need to be thinking of as we're sitting in our homes and we realize that this system is just not going to last. You can see it's very obvious. Even with what they're trying to put up as propaganda, everything's going to be fine with the vaccine. But you can see that everything is not going to be fine after the vaccine. So now we all as a community have to sit in our houses and think about, okay, so what can I do personally to make sure that, these things are resolved when we come from outside of our homes. Because right now we're all in our homes. There's really not much we can do. But what are we going to do when it's time for us to leave our homes? How can we help to alleviate the suffering of the children? How can we alleviate the suffering of the parents? How can we ensure that these people have some place to stay? But only those things can only really come into play after capitalism has pretty much imploded. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, beautiful. To your point, I was thinking – similar as i was reading initially what i just read and then i you know think cynically too sometimes because i know people can play with numbers statistically and for them to say what they said in this particular article i said no i got we have to ask sister laredes what what's her point on this because it just didn't sound right uh uh in terms of uh, what what we would expect to happen, but you know, as you expose the process, it's flawed, very much so, in terms of uh, dealing with uh, child neglect and abuse. Um, I, I think your point is is right on. I mean, clear and clear. So thank you, thank you, thank you, um, brother Blue. I'll pass it on to you, beloved, and then I'll come back.
2: Yes, sir, thank you. No, nope, Sister LaRae is 100% correct. COVID just exposed
1: the right.
2: uh, weaknesses already in the society. And, again, as one working in EMS, you know, um, even our protocols at a certain point clashed with the typical medical response and the answer to it depended on who you spoke to. There was no clean cut, clear protocol to deal with anybody and anything. It was a base. It was based on who was speaking at the time and who spoke louder. Even now, oh. they're, they're saying they're lying, telling, talking about oh the numbers are down, the numbers are low. Low. Up. Well, at the hospital out that, we're still getting the same number of patients in.
0: COVID-positive,
2: as we've been getting, the only difference uh-huh. now is they've done away with the COVID ward, so now the COVID-positive patients are interpopulated on the regular oh ward floors, and so you have health care providers who at one point were specifically for treating COVID patients in a COVID ward, and had the PPE and everything, and it kept everything isolating in one area. Now, I mean, come out of your room treating your grandmother, and then go into a person's room with COVID to treat them. Come right out and go back in your grandmother's room. Uh mm-hmm. huh. Yeah. But they, and they don't see this as being a problem, or they're not saying it is. Um, you know, I, I mean, Stevie Wonder could see this is a, 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 a not a good thing. Um, and, and then the other thing is numbers, you know, they've been giving us all these numbers for the last 18 years, I, and I just want, you know, this is just my question to be, where did they get these numbers from? Because I, mm-hmm. I, these numbers cannot be actual facts, actual numbers that they're coming up um, one of Not their a... people one of uh-huh. their, uh, just recently had If I could try and find it again, because it was late night, early morning type thing that they released it, that they had done a study over the last 15 years of the numbers of people dying each year. Mm. And they said the only difference between now and 15 years ago is the label that they put on the reason for people dying. But the Mm. numbers haven't changed. Hmm. And and so it made me think because my son, he was working in the pharmacy uh, about a year and a half ago. And he he said to my wife and I Zang, he said, you know, they're talking about all these people dying of COVID, but they don't say anything. I mean, the same number of people have been dying of diabetes, heart disease, Uh
3: cancer,
2: Uh and and no one is, you know, nobody ever said anything. It wasn't all of this hoopla and to do over it. And so Mm -hmm. now that I saw this report where this um, white guy had uh, produced the numbers, and I'm looking at it, and I was like, dang, my son is right. You know, it's all of how you tell the story. Let's just put it that way.
1: The
4: narrative. (laughs) Yes,
2: ma'am. Right. That's right. What made you or sparked
4: you or, or, or gave you the idea to write your book? The, 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 actually it was the honor of Elijah Muhammad to be very honest with you um, okay. in My young, and before I came into the nation I was reading a message to the black man in America and he stated emphatically that integration would, would not work so when he stated that I looked at the cover and you know it was written in 1974 I believe and so this is like less than 10 years after he wrote the book and I'm going like okay, well, you really can't measure it right now because it's too short of a time frame. You always let a program run a certain length of time before you can do a study on it. Right. So, but that always stuck with me. He said it, it will not work. Now, I'm listening to him and everything else that I, he, he wrote, I understood it. I could see it acting out right in my face. You know, I, I so I definitely believe that what he was saying was accurate but we had to just look at, the, look at it years later to make a decision as to whether what he stated can we prove what he stated. So when I'm so now I'm looking back. I go to graduate school. Life goes on, and one day I said, you know what, my husband challenged me to write a book, and he was he was we were having a little you know disagreement.
0: <laughs> <for the night laughs> and, said, and I
4: was and he said to me, well, I don't have time to write a book. You need to write a book. I said, you know what, that's a good idea. So I started looking into integration. Because like I said, it stuck with me. But when I right. started writing the book I looked at statistics because statistics unless you are you're manipulating them, they usually tell the truth of any situation. So I looked at right. all of the national statistics and how we were doing in certain areas and based on those national statistics that would give me the conclusion that it either worked or did not work. So you you don't, get, you don't see too many people coming out and challenging me because of the fact that my statistics speak for themselves. I'm saying to you the census is saying this. I'm saying you the CDC is saying this. Health and Human Service is saying this. The Correction Department is saying this. My, um, the, the book didn't get a lot of information for the Department of Defense because that was difficult information to get. But as they're releasing their information now, my premise is still 100% right and exact. Because all systems and all institutions that we go into are set up to install white supremacy, and that white supremacy is black oppression. So they mean that institution has to operate in such a way that we are oppressed. So how can you get the best out of a person if you're oppressing them? And then also we're integrating in a house that does not wish to be integrated into. So you know how you treat a house guest that showed up that you didn't want to see? You ain't, you, I'm just saying The food just don't taste so good Because you didn't want that person coming anyway So that's basically The back the story for the book That's the back story Okay,
2: alright Alright, yeah Wow <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's beautiful Sister Leray, thank you for Bringing that back story to the forefront that's Beautiful true. All praise is due to Allah, and I pray Allah that uh, you know you will continue to be successful in selling your book and getting this book out to our people. A couple of things that have come to my mind as we enter into uh, the last forty-five minutes of today's program. First of all, um, is your time all right? We don't want to impose on your time.
4: Brother, I'm fine. When I, you know, I put out a block of time. I'm not doing anything else. So you,
1: All praise is due to a lot of work. You wealth. have me
4: to 6 o'clock.
1: <laughs> we're, 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 we're eternally grateful. We're appreciative, yes, we you know. Um, back to the piece, and, and I'm going to come right back to us, but um, the piece in terms of the process, you said you, you're not working now. Uh, this particular article uh, that I have pulled up, uh, as you said, you're not quite familiar with the process, but I don't know if... This may ring a bell or anything. It says, with many children out of the public eye, the U.S. system of relying on teachers,
0: police, Mm -hmm.
1: and doctors to report potential abuse and neglect to child protective services, known by various names across the states, has been failing. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, during this pandemic, it became too late for many. Then it goes on Mm -hmm. to say school personnel are the top reporters of child abuse. Absolutely. They're the most important eyes and ears for child welfare agencies across states. Teachers, administrators, counselors, coaches, nurses, Mm -hmm. and other adults working in school settings are trained to identify warning signs and mandated by law. To report any potential issues of child abuse or neglect. So, so based on your experience, is that is that similar?
4: Yes, because um, most of the child abuse cases come in between September and June.
1: Mm-hmm. So
4: most of mm-hmm. your staff is going out and investigating between those months because September is when the school opens in New York City. It was June when it closed. It pretty much was quiet July and August. We would sometimes get reports from um, day camps, um, mm-hmm. maybe a mm-hmm. doctor here and there, but the bulk of the cases really came from the schools because they made it mandated for schools to report after that uh, incident that happened, I think, in the early 80s when the, the man beat the child to death in Manhattan. So because mm-hmm. before that time, there was no um, mandated reporting system between the Board of Education and child welfare. But after that horrific case, and I can't remember remember the name off the top of my head. I I have the faces, but I can't remember the name. And the little girl, Lisa, was beat to death, and I think they found the boy at at the house. Mm -hmm. That case made it mandatory within New York City, and I'm assuming the state as well, where the the, the school system had to report. Once the school Mm -hmm. system started reporting, they had to start hiring more workers because that was where the bulk of the cases were really coming in from. And mm-hmm. so now that the schools are closed, of course you're going to lose all of that information because there's no one that has really an eye on the minor children. And so that that is what it is. I mean, so,
0: right.
4: them say, so that's why I'm saying I can't say that didn't, the numbers didn't go up because you now have the schools are closed, so you don't have all of these cases that are not being called in between the months of September and June. Then factored mm-hmm. in, you have unemployment. Factored in, you have high stress. Factored in, I don't know how I'm going to feed you. Factored in, I don't know if we're going to have a place to live. For so all of these things that are stre- causing the stress of the people, and then you got to remember the average person doesn't know that or doesn't make the connection between uh, what's going on and uh, the future of Western civilization. We can say from a spiritual standpoint, All of these things were going to happen in order for the civilization to be destroyed. That's in the Bible and that's in the Quran. Most people don't Mm -hmm. make that connection. So it's really driving the insanity rate up because it's different if I know where this road is going. And it's another thing if I don't know where this road is going. So you have a higher suicide rate. You have all of these things that are going in. Because I remember when I went in to see my own physician and she started giving me the – the the, the that scale for depression. So she starts answering me, asking me questions, and at the third question, I said I'm not depressed. And she's looking at me kind of crazy. I said, oh, miss, I'm a therapist. I already know which way you're going. But mm-hmm. when, you, when you go into your physicians now, they're checking you for depression. They're checking you for anxiety. They're checking you for all these mental health concerns because they understand what's going on outside is going to have an impact on the people. So it's different if you feel as though this is normal and this is what's going to happen. Your blood pressure is going to be one thing. But the person that doesn't understand, their blood pressure is going to be sky high. So Our all people of these are things,
1: destroyed for lack, of knowledge. For lack yeah, of knowledge. I'm sorry for cutting you off. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
4: That's real because when I came in the office, she actually was shocked that my blood pressure was perfect. She was going like, her mm-hmm. blood pressure is fine. Her blood, but see, when you have that knowledge, then you're, walking, you're not walking in the darkness. But if you don't have that information, you're walking in the darkness. But if you have the information that, that light, that light gets you through the darkness. So that's why it's very imperative that we get our people to understand this is the natural and the normal because even though a lot of us were raised in church, we don't always get the information that we need from the Bible. We know what the pastor taught us. And because so many of them have been neglectful in teaching the end, teaching the end of the civilization... Most of us really don't understand what we're seeing.
1: That's right. That's right. we the first ones to recite, without vision, the people perish, but we don't know what's talking about right now. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, beautiful, my dear sister, beautiful. Um, So we thank God for, you know, revealing to us the most honorable Elijah Muhammad and the honorable minister Louis Farrakhan being the perfect example. Thank him for coming 9,000 miles to seek and to save that which was lost, because I'm telling you, I'm speaking for me personally. I will be out of my mind if I wasn't connected to the God and his Christ and his Messiah in our midst. Um, so, So with that being said, Brother Rudolph, yourself, myself, and those of like minds, hearts, and spirits, you made the statement, my dear sister, what we should be doing. Knowing that this world is going out with a great noise, as the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad said, that a new world is coming in, and we're responsible for being servants, students, soldiers. What is it that we should be doing, my dear sister? I mean, we've had, as guests, outside of our way of devotion, the black social workers, the black psychiatrists, the black psychologists, and those of like ilk. But what, knowing what we have been taught, knowing some of us using, others not using, that tool called Dianetics, knowing the minister put before us, the ministries that will help us move forward as that uh, nation that the God came to to give us, in your humble opinion, my dear sister, what what should we be doing for those of us of of who say we bear witness? There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is His messenger. Our specific way of devotion.
4: Well, two forms of matter can't occupy the same space at the same time. Uh-huh. And so we have to remove the thinking and the mindset of Satan and we have to increase ourselves in the belief and the practice. This is most important, the practice. Beautiful. Did I say that again? The practice.
0: Of Islam. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs>
4: and so when we start practicing Islam, then we'll be able to move our people into the practice of Islam. And once we start practicing and acknowledging that this world was temporary and that God is going to be the head of the next world, then we have to in tune ourselves with the mind and the thinking of God in order for us personally to survive and in order for us to teach our people how to survive and in okay. order for us to stand in the place of Satan because once Satan is removed, the only people that's going to be running stuff is God. So if we're not God-fearing, God-obedient, if we're not willing undo the mindset that we have and put in the, the whole armor of God and to work to be as Christ-like as possible because we're going to be responsible for humanity and we can't be responsible for humanity if we're thinking like Satan thinks because that's being removed. So we have to think like God and we have to think what would God do? Would God want everybody to starve and live in the street? Obviously not. So everything that we've been looking at for the entire duration of our lives is the exact opposite of how God reacts. I don't think God will put everybody in the street. I don't think God will want everybody to be hungry. I don't think God will want everybody to be unclothed. So we can't think like the capitalists. We can't think like Western civilization taught us to think. We have to think like God. And the only way for us to think like God is to study God and to practice God, not to just quote God not to just put on a garment and a uniform and pretend that we're godly when we're not, but practice God because that's the only way we can survive. That's the only way that humanity can survive because basically when God is your father, he also gave you what you need to do in order to survive. That's Bible. That's Quran. So until the new book comes, we have to honor the book that we have. Mm -hmm. And as long as we are honoring the book that we have, we will personally survive, inshallah, and we can help our people to survive, but we don't really have no guidance for them. I don't have no guidance for you. I'm as ignorant as they come. I rely on the law to give me what I have to say. And I Go pray ahead. that I articulate it in a way that he is it's pleasing to him because Mr. Lorraine ain't nobody. I grew up. I was born in Harlem Hospital in New York City. I grew up in public housing. I grew up in Queensbridge. Who am I to stand before the well and tell you anything but because I'm striving to be a good Muslim. I'm praying that what I say will be a blessing to anybody who happens to be listening. But we all have to put our mindset into the mind of God because in order for us to survive, we have to be godly because Satan's rule is over. So if he's severing Satan from his rule, then that means the only person that stands in his, his, his place as the degenerate is those of us who are willing to give up our way, give up what we were raised thinking, give up what we were raised doing, and pray to him and ask him what should we be doing to help our people, and hope and pray that our vessel is clean enough for him to pour himself into us, so that we can do right. it, his bidding and his
1: work. That's it. Beautiful, beautiful. I, I can't help myself, Sister Lorraine. To the bridge, to the to the bridge, <laughs> to the bridge, to the to the bridge. Only those in New York know what we talking about.
2: Understand Y'all know I can't know. help
1: myself. I need supervision. <laughs> I need I need auditing, Brother Rudolph. Help a brother out.
2: Listen, listen, while she was talking, you know, I was waiting for the organist to come in and start, you know.
0: Yeah, beautiful.
2: Place for God. We
4: all have a placement guard. We all have a take We all just have to grab on to him.
1: That's right. And
4: pray to him and ask him what we need to be doing and just walk with what he tells us to do. As we're, we're obedient, we'll be, all, we'll be fine. I'm just Beautiful. looking at it from a spiritual perspective. I think we'll all be fine as long as we are willing to give up our ways and our more ways and our folk ways and our demonic practices. Allah will bless us.
1: Brother Rudolph?
4: Uh, the
2: doors of the church are open. Oh, won't you come? Mr. <laughs> 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 Lorraine, we you,
1: Get the, collection, warned you, get the collection
2: plate ready.
1: Between get the pastor no of
2: disaster
1: and the deacon of doom. <laughs> Go ahead, Deacon. <Jesus.
2: laughs> Have your way, no sir. No good sermon goes without charity. Get the collection plate. Y'all, y- y- You said it. You said it all right there.
1: Nothing else to be said. Well, let me, let me ask you this, Sister Leray, from a clinical now. The spiritual yes, was, was pristine. And, you know, as a firefighter, I use this analogy. When we respond to an alarm, let's just say it's a structure fire, most people think that if someone dies in a fire, it's as a result of them burning up in the fire, which is not necessarily the case. Most people, right, asphyxiation, right, it's because poisonous gases build up. And so as a firefighter, when I respond to a building, in order to properly extinguish it, I have to make sure that the building is properly ventilated, Mm -hmm. right? whether it's coming through a window, a door, or we have to make, Force, forcible entry Let the smoke have a way To go out the poisonous Gases release itself so we Can come in and put the fire Out I use that same Analogy with us as a people Because as you laid the Baseline assessment Since slavery since our Childhood knowing that You know the the impact of Psychological slavery is Cyclical as we get Older we there's some poisonous gases up in us since childhood that we really haven't properly ventilated. Mm -hmm. And eventually, eventually, you know, say if it's a building and it's not properly uh, ventilated, eventually you have what you call spontaneous combustion. If it's Mm -hmm. us as a people and we don't have the right means by which to ventilate those poisonous gases, we end up hurting ourselves or hurting the people closest to us, whether mm-hmm. it's our spouses, our children, unfortunately. Um, you think that's a pretty clear analysis in, in terms of, you know, uh, uh, paralleling my profession with what we're going through as a people?
4: Yes, because trauma has to go somewhere. And the more trauma you're experiencing,
1: you're experiencing your life, it reduces
4: your longevity. So the reason why so many of us die so young is because we have a lot of trauma. Um, wow. Also, so it, it really increases your um, premature death. or your likelihood of dying is because of certain things that have happened over, your, over the course of your life that you never really address. It also increases your health risk and chronic disease. So these things that people say, well, you know, that thing happened to you when you were three. Yeah, it may have happened to me when I was three, but I never it was never resolved. And because mm-hmm. it was never resolved, I carried it all the way until I'm 55. And so I'm, if I'm not addressing that issue, there's other ways I can address it or cope with it, but usually they're maladaptive, what we call maladaptive ways. So you start the drinking, the smoking, the partying, the promiscuous mm-hmm. behavior. All of these things that we are doing because we never address the trauma. But then that also undermines our longevity, because we know there's a consequence for drinking, there's a consequence for substance abuse, there's a consequence for everything that we do in this life that's negative. So we have to look at the trauma and resolve those issues if we plan to have any kind of quality of life, any kind of just thinking properly on an everyday basis, because we're still... We're 55, but we're still three years old. We're still that child that was traumatized at three. And Mm -hmm. so our our mental health is so important, and if we don't address these issues, and we're like one of the most traumatized groups on the planet, but we're the ones Mm -hmm. that get the least amount of mental health and support. So that definitely has to be addressed because we can't function optimally if we're three, in our our thinking and our mentality, and we're focused on that when we're 55. And a lot of times we don't even realize where some of the stuff that we're we're doing is coming from because we kind of, like, bury it. You know, somebody did something Mm -hmm. to me when I'm five. I don't think it impacts me 50 years later, but it it actually can depending on the the trauma that we've experienced. So it's always good, if you know that you have an issue, to address it and not to bury it. And I think because we experience so much trauma, we don't even acknowledge that the trauma is going on. Mm-hmm. And that's really, it's unfortunate. But it impact, when I say it impacts everything, it impacts your self-esteem, it impacts your motivation, it impacts your education, it impacts your health. I mean, everything, your family functioning, all of that stuff that you, we don't think is important, is very much important. So we have to decide, do you want to be healthy or do you rather be unhealthy? In order for us to be healthy, we have to face the things that we've been burying and we've been trying to cope with. And we have to release those things. And if it takes you sitting down and talking to somebody to release it, that's what you need to do. But if you don't, Mm -hmm. what are the consequences of you not addressing it? And that's for me and for you, that's for everybody because we all have certain traumas that we, even if you didn't get traumatized at home, I'm sure you went to school and somebody said something to you that you didn't like. Or maybe it was a little bully around the corner. But All of these things impact you later on in your life because you don't get a chance to, to release them with the way we should be able to release them.
1: Spontaneous combustion. You on it. Wow. Beautiful. So, Brother Rudolph. That, thank
2: thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks. So, Sister Leray, in your professional opinion, Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, so now we have, for the first time that I realized in my adult life, a situation where our youth committing suicide at a rate that I've never seen before, professionally or otherwise. Because at one mm-hmm. point, suicide, you know, you could pretty much listen to news reports and tell who that was dealing with. Mm-hmm. You hear stories, and you say, "Oh, that wasn't that that wasn't one of us." Mm-hmm. But now you can't do that. And I guess he, he, could it be that society again, um, because of the stigma that they have on reaching out for help, especially with males, young mm-hmm. males that has anything to do with the alarming rate of suicide of our young males?
4: Yes, definitely. The region not being, feeling comfortable reaching out for help. And then also we have to recognize that the black males are the ones that the American government is uh, focused on. They are the target. So they have more stress they have more negative things going on in their lives because they're being targeted in school. They're trying to move them from school to jail. Um, And if you don't understand what's going on, if you don't have a family person that's supporting you and saying, don't worry, this is something that is going on and why it's going on, it's like the darkness. I don't see a future for myself. So if I don't see a future for myself, what is there to keep me here? And if you have a parent that understands – and says, okay, because like some of us, we, we raise our children and say, okay, well, you got to get a job in the plantation. And we don't understand there's no jobs in the plantation. So if there's no job in the plantation, what do we do to make sure our children are able to provide for themselves? How are we able to provide mm-hmm. for ourselves? Because the change is already here. The only people that's not grasping on to the change is us. White people been let us go. And mm-hmm. so if your mentality is that my child got to get a job but they got to get out, then you're just increasing the population of homeless people because it's not going to change the reality. So we have to change how we are addressing certain situations, especially with our males, because they'll hire your daughter quicker than they're going to hire your son. That is just what it is. So now what are you going to do to give your son something to do that he doesn't feel as though he's a failure because he doesn't have a job? And the job that we're giving them is only temporary jobs that don't make that much money to begin with. So we have to see a future for our children. And then we have to impart that vision into the children that we are coming up with. All my children, I told them when they were little, you're you're learning these things in order to help your people in the future. You're learning this skill so you can help your people in the future. But I let them know that there is a future. We have some of our people out. We're so wrapped up in America due to our coping system of Stockholm Syndrome. We're thinking that when America comes down, that we're coming down too. Right. We just don't right. see the separation. We just don't see it. So we have to impart in our children that whatever America is going through, that ain't got necessarily anything to do with us because the fall of the empire frees the slaves So if you're thinking, if you're holding on to the empire and the empire is going down, then you're going down with the empire. But if you understand you that the, fall that the, you the, that, the fall of the empire frees the slave. would you say that one more time? Empire. You heard me, sir. The fall of the empire frees the slaves
3: Ah. So if you're
4: sitting around crying, worrying about the empire, wait. I can't worry about the empire when I'm just a slave in the empire. So my thing is let it fall. Allahu Akbar,
2: let it fall. Allahu Akbar. So we don't, you mean, wait. Yes. I'm sorry. So you mean that, 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 that mindset of, what's the matter, boss? We sick? That's not right? No sense.
0: <laughs> No, Sounds sorry. like we
1: have a guest. Welcome to Disaster Awareness <laughs> for Community Preparedness. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Please state your name and how may we serve you. I'm
3: welcome. It's I wanted to call in and give give my applause and my support of my sister Lorraine. You are doing an outstanding job, Mrs. Muhammad.
4: Praise be to Allah.
3: That's why it says in our Constitution that anyone that tries to stop a woman from reaching the highest height of her God-given potential is an enemy of the nation of Islam. You are teaching and training today, my sister.
4: All praise due to Allah. Now,
3: I am so very excited that they had you on the show. And I do have a question for my sister because I don't know how many of us saw this particular article but it's not the only occurrence. With a seven-year-old, she was on her virtual school, and it was time to take her lunch break, and they're supposed to turn off their camera. Where well, she didn't turn her camera off. She muted, but she didn't turn the camera off. And everyone yeah. in the class saw her get sexually assaulted at home.
1: And I, I think saw, that's I why she didn't that. turn
3: the camera off. I think that baby was tired that. of being abused. So... Yeah. To your point, that most child abuse, and I think that's probably nationwide, is reported through teachers and coaches during school. Now, they have had 18 months to abuse these children all day and all night, and the children couldn't get a break, and neither could be a fault So my question to you is us as ordinary people who are not professionals. I mean, I am a mandated reporter in my line of work, but I'm not particularly trained in how to see all of those things in children. What should we be looking for for the children in our neighborhood that may be being abused at home that maybe a teacher would have caught it but now there is no teacher. What things should we look for? Continue doing what you're doing sis. outstanding show has gotta be a part two. I saw Malika.
4: You know, See the difficulty. Side, you, sir. Malayka, the, long, man. the difficulty with spotting abuse in the street is that if you see it, you don't really have enough information to call in a report. That's the reason why it's easier for teachers to do it, because if I can see a child that's bruised in a, let's say, grocery store, right? Um, I don't know the child's name. I don't know the, the demographics of calling that report. So that's where the, the, that's why the children are really slipping through the cracks, because you don't really have enough. When you call that state office, they're going to know, child's age, the child's name, the the address. You need some just basic information to pull in a report. So the only thing that we really can do is that if you're in contact with your family members, if you observe it and you have that information, you can pull in a report. Before strangers, it's a difficulty factor. I don't think you're going to stop the mother and say, okay, what's your name and address so I can call in a report? That usually is not going to go well. So it, it basically has to be, at this point, friends and family. Somebody who's in contact with that child while the child is home from school.
3: Thank you, ma'am. And I hope all the friends and family that know they've been seeing things that just didn't add up. I hope folks hear what you said and speak up and
2: protect these children. Yes, ma'am. Hey, we right here, and hey, we we don't. What the heck? In the nation of Islam, we have the Ministry of Health and Human Services. So, um, um, no, let me not ask this question over the air. I'll call you and ask. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, but let me let me segue for a second. I want to say while my wife is open, um I'm so proud of my wife, and I, I, I just want everybody to know my wife will be graduating tomorrow with her master's. Yes. Well, all right now.
1: Finally <laughs> finished. Yes. I heard master's. I didn't hear the right. congratulations.
2: So, I, didn't, I heard the master's, but I
4: didn't hear the, the discipline. Oh, uh,
2: um, um, she's getting her master's in divinity.
4: Oh, praise be to Allah.
2: Y- yes. Uh,
4: You're breaking up so, for some reason. Oh, no, I'm Okay.
2: My wife is a hospice. She works as a hospice chaplain. So she's okay. going into people's homes, into our people. Well, not just our people, everybody, anybody. That, uh, mm-hmm. maybe, she's going into our people's homes. Um, and dealing with people who the families are uh, trying to get a brother dying. Dad is dying. Granny is dying, whatever. Mm-hmm. But you know how our culture is and our family is. You know, we don't accept that too readily. So we want to deny it right down to the end. Uh, What she always comes in, what we talk about is the lack of services for our people where hospice is concerned because they're so Mm -hmm. quick to kick you off or or not even get your diagnosis to let you on or you just don't get the services that you should be getting. So I'm saying all of that to say people like her, people like yourself, that have the history and the experience of do of doing this. Um, when we gonna get our own? Um, you know, I, 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 I it is. You, you know, I I just wanted to just say I'm proud of my wife, and I'm so proud of you, Sister LeRae, Um That's
0: right.
2: In do it because you know we've had our interactions over the years while you were in the system. You know, getting counsel from you on handling certain situations, which was uh, very, very much needed. Because the other thing is, as me, as a health care provider, who's a mandated reporter, how do you make the differentiation to make the report, knowing that if you make this report, nine times out of ten what's going to happen is, they busting in, kicking the door down, and them children are now going in the system. And is now, that more beneficial for them in the system than in the home?
4: Now, you're asking me personally? Yeah. My, my, my response, okay, well, first of all, I'm licensed, so I'm mandated. Uh, anybody else is mandated. I'm a mandated reporter. And I, I, I joke with my children one day. They was in there talking to my granddaughter. I said, I remember I'm a mandated reporter. They started laughing. But... I'm a mandated reporter, so I must report any child abuse and neglect that I see. Um, now, reality is this. Until we have our own system, until we have our own checks and balances, we are dealing with what we're dealing with. So we have to be recognizing as people who are in a, this profession, that what would what we set up if we had control? Think about the future. What services will we implement if we had to control the implement those services? And so that when we're running things, we can decide how things go. We can, decide, we can figure out what services need to be given to the family whose parent or grandmother is dying. We have to look at that because we already know the institution is not set up for us. The institution is barely set up for them. So we have to look at what we've learned from this experience and how we can be better prepared to ensure that, the, the, that humanity gets better services in the future because this is a capitalist society. All they're interested in is capital. And that's why when COVID first started being discussed, the first thing they wanted to know about was, well, how can we get these workers back to work? Because Wall Street is not going to accept us staying home. Mm-hmm. And so if their their focus is capital and money, our focus has to be, on people, humanity, how are they going to, you know, move forward henceforth. So that has to be – the mindset just has to change. But as far as um, them snatching them out of the house and putting them somewhere else, hopefully we have resources like the family members could take them in. So we have to be mindful if our grandchildren or if our child is being removed that we have family members that could take them. We have to think about that because a lot of times, especially in black and brown communities, We'll take our family members in. We've been the ones that have done that historically. But a lot of times mm-hmm. what people are doing, and this is what I found out when I was, um, I was training foster parents, a lot of times the, the parent doesn't want to tell anybody that they're having a problem. They know they have a cousin or aunt or a sister that will take the child. A lot of times the parents, grandparents didn't find out their children weren't care until so the agency contacted them
2: because mm-hmm. there's a
4: certain stigma for that parent because if somebody came and got my children, I'm a bad parent. I didn't do well. So the person is so guilt-ridden, they don't always tell the family or the extended family that they need assistance. But we have to get past that because we want to keep our children within our family structure because we understand that when children go outside of the family structure, we can't control that. But your cousin who's able to take care of your child, your sister, your brother, your auntie, whoever you can reach out to to take those children in the event that you are unable to take care of them temporarily, that's what we have to use as a resource because we can't control it once they live with a person that we don't have any knowledge of or their history or whatever, but we have to be willing as extended family to take in our nephew, take in our cousin, and that, that only is right. basically on us. So we can't be so close that our family is fine so we can't look out for our cousins. That's not good. That's not a long-term solution. A long-term solution is being able and willing to take in any tribal member who needs some place to stay. Yeah. The second part for that is resources. Okay. So now, like, you just said out there
2: that to take children to keep them out of the system. Maybe a lot of people didn't know that. So what are the other myths or or? or Things that oh, the system,
4: especially in our community, that... You're breaking up, so I'm not rules. hearing your question.
2: Where can they find out the rules of engagement for the, uh, uh, um, where that's concerned, you know? Okay.
4: Uh, Online. I'm online. A lot of social service policy, procedure, and how to do a thing is online. I, um, I know in New York City, a lot of their government information is online. They can tell you step-by-step step how to become a foster parent. You can go right online and get that information, and they'll tell you what training that you have to go through, what you have, the parenting classes you might have to take. You might have to take the MAP training. You might have to take uh, tra- uh, caring for your own classes. But all of that stuff is basically online. And, in one sh- and because, actually, um, in New York City and, I believe, state, they really prefer it be a family member. So, like, family members pretty much take precedence over other people who are coming in and getting children. So if you are extended family member and you want to take your cousin's child, all you have to do is make yourself known to the agency that you are willing to take that child in. Well, okay. All right. You're welcome, sir. You're breaking up so it's hard for me to hear you. oh
1: I don't know if you're familiar with this uh, Child Welfare Information Gateway, but as I was scanning the Internet yesterday, it has certain things in terms of Child Abuse Prevention and Treatment Act, what that means, the definitions of child abuse and neglect, uh, organizations providing information on child welfare and the law, what is child abuse and neglect, recognizing the signs and the symptoms and the related content, uh, content, the laws, the policies, and responding to child abuse and neglect and different state laws definitions of child abuse and neglect. There are some civil statutes and criminal statutes, as you're aware of, uh, Sister Lorray So, um, you know, just based on Brother Rudolph's question and your answer, that is is what I came across in terms of my research uh, for today's program. Let's get back to this beautiful book, Black Integration, A Failed Social Experiment. We want to make sure our listening audience purchases your book. Um, I'll say to you, based on uh, the research that um, Sister Leray, as she has articulated, um today goes into the educational system, providing empirical data demonstrating how the outcomes for blacks, educationally speaking, is consistently lower than the general population. The employment has been considered in consistently high rates of employment and underemployment in this segment of society, as she has explained today. From there, her book expands on the effects of black male employment, such as its connection with single-parent households and the impact on incarceration rates. She then assesses the issues of child welfare, the hostility of the banking community to the black community, the prevalence of substance abuse, homelessness, and poverty, The book also covers blacks and the military, blacks as crime victims, mental health, physical health, and senior citizens. So let us get this book, brothers and sisters, and Sister Leray, tell us how we can get it once again.
4: You can go on to Amazon.com and put in the title of the book, and you'll get that information, or you can go on to Twitter, and look for my name, Loray Muhammad, and on my page, you'll be able to order the book as well.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. And congratulations, Sister Asia, on, you know, getting your master's in divinity. That's That's the end for me, Brother Rudolph, reciting scripture. Your wife will be checking me. So I think I'm going to join the choir. I'm going to join the choir. With Sister Leray and I, I don't know if you remember Sister Leray, we were on a panel together. I think it was the World Day of Atomen yes. at the Harlem State Building. Right. And yes, in my sir. closing statement, they asked me a question, and a lot uh, 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 inspired me to come up with the Negro spiritual. When Egypt was in Israel land, let my people go. <laughs> We pressed so hard we could not stand. Let my people go. Y'all know the song, Go Down Moses, Way Down in Egypt's Land, you know. But as Sister Larrae said, the fall of the empire frees the slave. They've been freeing us. We don't got to tell him to let us go. He's let us go. We We have to see. Yeah, 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 yeah. What my man (laughs) said on Amistad. We be free or make us free or something like that. Give us free. You know what I mean? Give us, us free. Thank you. <laughs> Give us free. We thank Almighty God Allah for the most honorable Elijah Muhammad and the honorable minister Louis Farrakhan. All we have to do is get this book, Black Integration, a Failed Social Experiment, to get us one step closer to the book that says, in this day, it'll be our righteousness. That will sustain yeah, us. So up. let's, yeah, yeah, let's 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 tune in, brothers and sisters. It's been a great pleasure for me and my family, and my wife, Sister Sharon, gives you the greeting, Sister Lorraine.
0: Praise, praise family be family. to Allah.
1: I certainly will. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. I'm gonna let Brother Rudolph close out after you give your closing statements. I'm gonna get out the way and just say it like this. You know I can't help myself. Every now and then I'll use my poetic license, but even with these few words shared by me and we, I guess it's still the way it used to be. The strength of a nation is its family, and real freedom mm-hmm. is responsibility, the ability mm-hmm. to respond legitimately by any means necessary. Thank you, Sister Leray. May Allah bless Thank you. you, for having and me. hug the children for for Thank me. You. Because you know, I, I, as strong as I appear to be, I'm broken up now thinking about you know just the relationship I had with your wonderful husband, and uh, we'll ever have with him because we don't we don't see him as not being here though physically right. we all go away. He'll be with me till my last heartbeat. So, brother Rudolph, I'll let you close out after we hear uh, closing statements from our dear sister, sister Lorraine. Thank you, thank you, thank you. May Allah continue to bless you, ma'am. As I greet you in peace, as-salamu alaikum.
4: Wa well, alaikum salam, so sir.
2: Yes, ma'am. So, right, you had anything you would like to make? Um, but this week, um, we definitely, as my wife said, we definitely right after this week, we go play part two because we got to get to part two so we can get to the system questions that we had that we never got to. You want to questions today or another day? No, we're gonna do the questions another day because we won't okay to too long. Our time. But that's just our
4: way, our way of holding on to
2: you.
4: Yes, sir. I see. Well, my, <laughs> I, we will we will book another day where we can take questions. Um, my only yes, closing sir. statement is is what I'm is that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad is telling us the absolute truth. The Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan is telling us the absolute truth. We cannot control anything until we are separated, and that's just not a physical separation, but a mental, moral, and spiritual separation. Once we're separated on our own land and we can control our own outcomes, that's the only way we're going to see progress the way we should see progress. And that's it.
2: Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much, Sister Lorraine. I love you so much. Thank you. Please, yes, same thing for me, hugging to the children for me. Well, I, I mean, They're not children anymore. They're they're grown. They're grown.
0: <laughs> right.
2: I, I You know, I can't. I can't come to grips with that. That y- your children and my children are grown.
1: They you know. Imagine that,
2: right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. Well, thank you again. May Allah bless you. Have a safe and a productive week, and we will talk in the near future about part two. Yes, Inshallah. sir. Inshallah.
1: Inshallah. Oh.
0: <laughs> Inshallah. I can't help in In a word Are a soul